Flight attendants, please prepare for takeoff. Wheeler, Cycle, Line A, scores! I don't believe my eyes. Wheeler gets a hat trick. Oh my goodness. It's a big Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Episode 8 of Ground Control, Tyler Escobar, Jamie Thomas, alongside special guest Kevin Sawyer of TSN, uh, fame, I guess we can look at it as, and Kevin's got a special story for us because he's got a different voice, and this is this is a warning to all you people out there to decide to bring your children to New York. That's right. Bring your kids to New York and you're going to have this sexy voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you You've got a little bit of a cold, and this, you know, this is a great story because Tyler and I are going through all your... <laughs> escapades in the National Hockey League. And of course, we're going. We got to find out when your first goal is. And the irony is, you've scored your first goal here at Madison Square Garden, which you have been kind enough to bring your wife and children to be a part of the yes. place where you scored your first National Hockey League goal. But because of it, you've got a cold. Because of it, I have a cold. We've really, as parents, paid the price for a little family vacation, a work vacation. But yeah, it's been sleeping on the floor in the shower is. Uh, it's fun the first night, and we giggled and laughed, and now we're crying about it. The romance, the romance is over. <laughs> Cramming into the room, making it work. The romance is over. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, it's not cheap to have a hotel in New York, but uh, li- listen, it's not every day you can regale the story of your first National Hockey League yeah. goal, and how great is it to be back in the arena where it happened? You know what? It's been uh, like all jokes aside. The family being here has been. Excellent in so many different ways, but uh, for me, selfishly, it was a pretty neat memory. You know, playing in Madison Square Garden was a thrill in and of itself. Um, and then scoring my first goal, Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky were huge uh, idols of mine. So Messier was on the ice. Oh. So yeah, give him a minus. <laughs> uh, you would, in you your would face, have, Moose. You, exactly, right? <laughs> Last night when they were at center ice for the pregame ceremony, I thought like Mike Richter was out there and he yeah. was in net. And I thought, wow, they're going to actually commemorate my, 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 my goal. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah, course. Of course. Thank red you. Red <laughs> this is great. Oh, my God. I was like, wow, they're really going all out. But it was a, so a huge memory for me. And then, you know, that was 15 years ago. And now that uh, my kids are here, and we took a, a picture, a family picture in the corner where I celebrated, which was a terrible celebration but uh great memory you got i feel like i got a second chance to live my uh my first life i guess i could call it over again it's been fun you went the, the kids went on the zamboni and everything too right yeah the zamboni guy after as we, we were waiting and so they were thrilled to meet patrick lining so we waited a little bit until he was done with his family and then the zamboni driver was just awesome like he came up and chatted us up and and uh you know what my kids are uh they're all in their mid-teens and they were thrilled when they when he asked them if they wanted to go for a ride so i mean how many times do you get to ride a Zamboni in mm-hmm. your life, right? My kids and I, we grew up playing hockey our whole lives. I've never sat in a Zamboni, but they get to ride a Zamboni in Madison Square Garden. So another little uh, fun memory for everybody. It's been smiles from ear to ear the whole weekend. Can you remember the goal and how it happened? Yeah, I can. It was a, let's it was do a, it. Let's a, hear it. Let's do this. I can, can, I rem- I can remember all three. Yeah. Do- and, <laughs> and the two disallowed. If you want me to go through them systematically, I can for you. <laughs> we'll go through the, let's go through the first one. Let's just go through the first one. Yeah, we've only got 30 minutes. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well, it happened quick. Trust me. It was a fourth line grinding away in the corner and uh, a, 
errant pass. I think it went off a Messier skate actually, and it came right to me. So it wasn't intended for me. So I just one-timed it into the net before Richter can get set, and it was a quick, ugly play. And then my celebration was like, a, I think I got about a five-foot vertical up into the glass into the corner. Yeah. I was so thrilled. I'm just reading the first line of the LA Times article from that night. <laughs> the first line says, Kevin Sawyer flung himself into the boards, not in anger for once, but in jubilation. <laughs> His first NHL goal was memorable. His post-goal celebration, symbolic. <laughs> symbolic. This is amazing. Yeah. Chris Foster, Times staff Right, uh-huh. Well, our, our uh, trainer, one of our trainers was standing in that corner because there wasn't enough room on the bench for all of them. And he, he said, like, he, he was looking directly into my belly button when I jumped because he was right on the glass. He says, I was impressed with your vertical. He says, I, was, I wasn't impressed with the goal at all, but the vertical was great. <laughs> Uh, it also says here in this article that you led the NHL in penalty minutes. And I did notice that in your first game in the NHL, you had 10 penalty minutes. Yes. What did you do? Well, I can tell you uh, what I didn't do is score a goal. But <laughs> uh, that was back uh, in Hartford, actually. My first NHL, goal, uh, NHL game was in Hartford against the Whalers. Mike Keenan was the coach of the St. Louis Blues. And, uh, yeah, a couple fights took the opportunity. I mean, I knew what my role was. I was a big, big part of it. And uh, Jansen's was the my first fight. Uh, and oh, that's Kelly. a strong kid. Yeah, he was big. And, and you know what? Like, neither of my fights went great, but just kind of getting your feet wet and, and, you know, just the belief that I could actually, be, that I belonged a little bit. So, uh, you know, I was still on my feet at the end of both of them. Uh, Kelly Chase twisted me around like a pretzel. I Such heard he's a, a very strong individual. And, and technical like you wouldn't believe. I was a technical fighter. That's yeah. kind of how I got through thinking my way through things. But he was unbelievable. So, yeah, it was. I remember after uh, my first fight, Keenan came into the locker room after the first period. And, and and at that time, like, Brett Hull was on the team and Grant Fuhr, Al McInnes, Cortinal. Like, there was a lot of big names. And he came right into the room and singled me out and gave me a kick on the, on the shin pad. And it made me feel... Amazing. It was it was a good memory. Mike Keenan is a very unique individual. Yes. What was it like playing for him? He was just just when you thought that you you might know how the day was going to go, and you could, you had him figured out. He would do the opposite. Like he was just, uh, you know, n- today's game. I think the strength of a coach is is someone that can relate to the players. You know, great communicators. And and back in those days, it was more of just trying to find ways to get guys to to be better in creative ways, I guess I could say it. Mike Keenan, here's one story. So I was I was called up 10 times my for, my rookie year. Oh, my goodness. 10 different times. That's a yo-yo, year. right? It was unbelievable. Yeah. One time I was called up for a week, never played a game, got sent back down, got off the plane in Boston to go to Worcester, and I got a message that I'm going back up. So I didn't even get back to my, my apartment. I got back on the plane and went up. So anyway... Um, God, I, I lost my... With Keenan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I apologize. We, I no, that's okay. We called up on... And we had a, a game the night before Halloween, and we lost. Keenan was our head coach and our GM. So he walks into the room after the loss, tears up the game sheet, and says, I'm going to find you a coach by tomorrow. And we were... Spo- yeah, unbelievable. So... And, I, and remember the guys that are on the team, Brett Hall and McKinnis and Grant Fuhr. <clears throat> and I'm just kind of trying to read off of how they're re- reacting. So guys are heads between the knees. And so he says, tomorrow morning we're on the ice at 7 a.m. And so for some of us who were living downtown, it was like a half-hour ride just to get there. I remember Peter Zezel picked me up for the for the practice, and it was somber. Like, we're thinking we're going to get it. And Tom Watt was our one of our assistant coaches. So we're all – I mean, God, we're up at like 4.30 in the morning. We're skating around waiting for Keenan to show up to bag us and didn't even show up for practice. 
didn't even show up. So we had like a 10 minute little kind of pregame skating left. And then when you win and you think that everything's fine, yeah. just sock it to you. So, you know, he was interesting. I mean, I really, he was great to me, but he was, you know, it's a different kind of mentality back then versus today. Yeah. One of the, kind of just transitioning out of uh, your playing career and what you're doing now, obviously you're the main color analyst with Dennis Bayak on TSN uh, three on our broadcasts, I guess. Tell me a little bit about that experience. How did you get into this? Well, uh, you know, I went from playing to recovering from a concussion. It took me a couple of years <clears throat> to kind of get back to my right mind. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, pardon me, guys. Um, and then I kind of got into coaching. I was interested in that. And so I was uh, assistant coach in the Western Hockey League for a, a couple of years. And my mindset was to be a, a National Hockey League coach. Um, and then... I ended up becoming uh, like a single dad. So I raised my kids from the time they were in Pampers uh, alone. So that was a big twist in my life. So I was really busy being kind of stay-at-home dad for for 10 years. So um, at at that time, a a good friend of mine, Tim Spelt, who's the general manager of the West uh, Spokane Chiefs in the Western League, who I played for, said, hey, you want to try to do a broadcast on our little local television show? They, They broadcast like five games a year. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? That was horrible, and I didn't know what I was doing, no training whatsoever, and tried tried it, and yeah, I liked it. It was okay, so I did about five games a year for about five years, and then it, that turned into WHL on Shaw. We did a, a broadcast on Shaw for in Western Canada, and then it got a little bit more serious. Um, when they pulled that show off the air a couple of years ago, at the time I was doing that and splitting firewood for, for a living, and I figured, well... I don't know what, I, what the heck I'm going to do now. So uh, I started to look for opportunities. And I, I tell you, it's been a, like a dream come true being in the NHL for the second time. It's been, yeah, I just would have never guessed it. And yeah, I'm loving it. It's a, it's a good way to make a living. What about working with Dennis Bayak? I mean, it just seems like he, I don't want to say this in a negative way. It doesn't seem like he can't do anything wrong. He, he walks on water literally yes. in Winnipeg for Jets fans, does he not? Yeah, he, he is. You know what? As, as great as he is as a broadcaster, and he has been a mentor beyond. Like I, I struck it, I struck gold by being able to work underneath Dennis because he's so professional, he's so giving, but he's such a good man. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I said to him last year when I was on the kind of the trial year, I said to him, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you questions when they come into my mind. So I'll be asking you all the time. I go, you just tell me when to stop because I'm not gonna stop mm-hmm. until you tell me." And he said, "Let her rip." Yeah, and like it must have been like having a puppy on a leash because like I, I mean I, I don't know how to get to the press box in any of these rinks. Agreed. I, I don't know where to go, uh, and but I mean that aside, just kind of like the details of, of what a production is like and what my responsibilities are, little things, right? So, mm-hmm. um, anytime you're trying to get better, you always look to people who are better at it than you, and he is that for sure. And yeah, he, I'm thankful to, to Dennis for the the leadership and funny, funny man. Oh cool. my gosh, is he ever lighten the mood uh, off screen and yeah, I can't say enough of things about him, but yeah, just he's been he's been huge for me in my development. Uh, switching back to your playing career now, um, stuff you, is just popping up in I our brains. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going through the internet and finding everything. Yeah. Um, you played with some pretty big names, like you mentioned earlier, Brett Hall and uh, the guys on St. Louis. Uh, you also played with quite a few names when you sort of stuck around with the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. I guess tell me about your time there. Yeah, that was uh, that was the. What I got the call that I remember most was from Brian Murray, who was our my coach my first year. And the call you want to get is to from your coach to say get a place to live. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget being in the hotel for like the first month of the season, and he called and, and said to to get a place. So that's when you know that you've made it because my first six years I was up and down and all around in different cities and uh, mostly in the American Hockey League. So that was 
unbelievable. Um, and uh, just, yeah, like Paul Correa was was our big guy at that time. And and uh, just being near another guy like that who is, like, unbelievably focused, uh, we got to be pretty close friends as well. So, yeah, playing in the National Hockey League. And then at that time, Disney owned the, the, the Ducks. So we get these things called silver passes. So if you're an employee of Disney, you get to go to Disneyland for free. So, no. Yeah, oh yeah. No. So that, but so that your reaction was my reaction. I'm thinking like life can't get better. <laughs> it can't get better until your family finds out about this yeah. and your friends find out. So now, you know, after I went to Disneyland for like the 40th time in the first two months, I got tired. I got yeah. tired of it. <laughs> it wasn't the most. What do they call it? The most wonderful place on earth. Yeah. It's where dreams come true. Kevin. Yeah, they came true a lot of time, about a hundred times in my three years there. The one thing I've always found about Disneyland or Disney World is just the stuff breaking down, like parents fighting with each other, just glaring at one another, kids screaming. You're standing oh, yeah. like this. This is not the happiest place on earth. Oh. Isn't it? it is exactly the opposite. And I love how you sell it. The commercials get you. You get there, you're standing in line like for an hour with your kids. And if anybody that has kids that's listening to this, kids do not bode well when they're standing in line. Oh, my God. And it makes it worse. Oh. And it's hot. And it's just. You've been there, haven't <laughs> yes, you? Yes. Yeah, you're almost looking at each other going, you might get divorced. Yeah. I, I actually can tell you this. And I'm sorry, Disneyland and Disney World, it might cause your marriage harm if you go there with your kids. It, it, it's the best place to go people watch. If, you, yeah. if, you, if you've been through it, you don't have to bring your kids there anymore. And, and you live like 10 minutes down go the road. Go by yourself. Grab a coffee and just go people watch. It's the best. Go watch families get torn apart <laughs> i remember when i was a kid we went to disney world for the first time as a family and this one family uh was sitting at this table and the dad was clearly getting frustrated with the kids and it'll happen all of a sudden he stood up in the middle of the restaurant and yelled we have some ungrateful children in here some ungrateful children and like my we still talk about that and I'm, this is like almost like a good 17 years later that we still reference that joke. It was so funny. Like in the, and I think he had a turkey leg in his hand. Like, like it was, it was great. With the ungrateful children. So yes. You I got can, to travel halfway across the country to figure that out. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. So I can corroborate your story, even though I don't have children. So let's go back to Paul Korea for a second. When you yeah. say focus as it gets. How do you get through that when you're starting to get to know him? It's you know it's a good question because my first month in Anaheim, I was I thought that he didn't like me, and he he barely even like spoke to me. And this is the captain of the team, and so I, I kind of took it personal. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day I kind of went up to him and we were skating around before practice, and I kind of gave him a little bit of a slash across the shin pads with a little bit extra jam on it, just being going like, hey. Polly, how you doing? You know, like, in other words, like, can you just give me a little bit of your time, Something. Man? Come on. Yell and he, at me. And it was like he snapped out of his zone and he goes, so easy, I'm great, man. How are you doing? And, but, but he is so focused on perfecting his craft. And like, he used to do things. Like, I remember he had this customized ankle machine that he would strap a shoe into this, like, kind of boot harness. And it had a weight dangling off of it on a universal joint. And he was able to... You know, you know, I don't know if you can picture this, but he was he was exercising his ankle muscles. And like, have you ever seen anybody ever do no, that before? No, not once. And I, I'm certain, and I never did ask him this, but I'm certain that that was his own idea. And and he just, you know, between, you know, breathing techniques, meditation, working out, things like that, 
his focus was next level. It was unreal. Is it hard to, when you play with a Brett Hall or a Wayne Gretzky and a Paul Correa, to not go holy, yeah. like just to be starstruck, even though they're on your team? When you, yeah, when you grind your way through the game, uh, and there's a lot of guys out there, I'm sure, that are in my shoes where I always believed I would make it, and yet there was a, it took some time to have a sense of belonging. So mm-hmm. I always kind of felt like, you know, I kind of forced fate. In, in some ways where I'm like, wow, what, like, I can't believe they're letting me do this. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, right. so, you know, like, uh, even through junior hockey, uh, I mean, I was thrilled just to make it to the Western Hockey League and then, you know, started as a fourth liner and worked my way up to a third line to a second liner. Um, and it, nothing came easy. So you just, when you go through that, you don't take things for granted. And then the fact that, you know, you, you grew up as a fan of the game, yeah, you're on the ice lining up against Steve Eiserman or Mark Messier, like I talked about my first goal, or playing with, you know, Brett Hall or Ray Bork. It, it's just like pinch me aha moments where mm-hmm. you got to push through that and be a professional and focus because it's easy to be star. I, I was starstruck. I, I, How you know, did you not? I was. I remember my first my first game with the Boston Bruins on the plane. We were on our way to, to Buffalo. I joined them on a road trip and, and Ray Bork came up and sat with me. And give oh, me, gosh. Give, yeah, he gave me a tap, and I slid over in my seat, and he sat with me, and we talked for about 20 minutes, and I was so nervous at first. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the talk, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is just another man because that's, you know, great people in this game. But, you know, at first I'm thinking, oh, my God, I want to take a picture of this. I wanted to get my flip phone out. And yeah, that's yeah, a big position. difference. But just, yeah, great, great memories. And, and just, yeah, like, come on get to play with these superstars that we all idolized growing up it was neat now that you know you're in in this side of things in the nhl how have you seen the game sort of change not necessarily the the on ice product but you know just everything that's involved you know the the media the the spotlight that's on these players and all the resources that they have to to do what it is that they do i guess what do you what do you notice the big differences yeah well the the technology like we were playing against Colorado, colorado the other day in winnipeg and i ended up talking with some of the trainers for for the abs and and they had heart rate monitors and GPS systems on the helmets of their players. And so the guy was tracking all of their heart rates and tracking their routes and how the distance they've, they've skated and their acceleration and how many times they've accelerated and decelerated. Like, uh, that blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't have that when I played. Do you know what I mean? It was just about eating healthy and making sure that you had good recovery time. But, like, they were monitoring everything. So the technology is unbelievable. You're looking at guys now on iPads in between shifts, I mean, Adam Lowry standing right beside me when I'm between the benches, and he lost a face-off to Ryan O'Reilly with St. Louis, and, and one of the best face-off men in the game, and, and, and Lowry right beside me looked at the detail why he lost, and I remember he slammed the, the iPad down, but then he goes out and he wins the next two against him. Okay. So just like the, the, those are the things that stand out for me. Um, another thing that stands out is the youth. I mean, the, the league has gotten so much younger, mm-hmm. where you know very rarely would you see a guy that's a, in his teens play but uh, certainly even in, in their young 20s where you, most guys, unless you're a superstar, need to season and, and kind of gain that man strength to play that heavy brand that was more rampant. When I played now, it's about more speed, and the youth is another thing that stands out for me. Kevin, we were talking yesterday about, you know, the beginning part of broadcasting, you, it's very... You're talking about the same players all the time, right? Because yeah. you have to. Because right. Patrick Laine deserves the spotlight. Mark Scheifele deserves the spotlight. Those two players are young. So what Blake Wheeler does on a night-to-night basis, and he's in the early 30s, so he's not an old man by any stretch of the imagination, how much do you marvel at what he's done? 
You know what? I, he has. Uh, I've gained. Such, I, I've always respected him as a player, but when you get to see him on a nightly basis and, and the way that he affects the game, um, I mean, you guys see what I see, and the the plays that he's able to make in the game, the way he can get the puck to players that everybody else knows what he's trying to do, mm-hmm. and he still does little has little details in his game that allow him to still make those passes, and just the fact that he can represent shot. And he has vision out the side of his uh, of his eyes to know what his options are. He demands defenders to respect him, and he t- and what he does is takes the respect off of his teammates and line mates. And that's how that to me is what impresses me about Blake Wheeler is how he makes people around him better. Whereas if you're just you're just a pass guy and you're thinking pass all the time, now you're predictable and it's easier way to take your options. But he demands respect from his defenders, and that's why he can find Shifley and find Liony and, and find Ehlers, whether it's power play or five on five. That that impresses me. And then what a lot of people don't see is how how crazy hard he goes in practice. You guys see that, but a lot of fans yeah. don't where like oh, there's been times where I've actually said to myself, I'm like, okay, he's going too hard yeah. in practice because he's gonna get hurt. He can't keep that pace up all year. And he, there's nothing that's amazing. Like he th- that might be his biggest strength as a leader is the tone that he sets when they're not playing games. So when the players say, like Mark Shifley, he drives everything in practice, he drives everything in the game, they're being authentic. This is It's the absolute truth. I mean, if there's ever an open practice and you're a fan listening to this, I would recommend getting out and checking it out because he is, yeah, it's it's quite, it's, it's inspirational is what it is. It really is. I remember Paul Maurice from, of course, the Jets beat the New York Rangers and just when he says something like Henrik Lundqvist, he goes, when you watch Blake Wheeler skate or Patty Lane shoot the puck, you kind of get used to it as a Jets fan. Yeah. You see it all the time. Henrik Lundqvist, you don't get to see it very often. Is Blake Wheeler underappreciated in some aspects for what he does and how good he is? Well, when you when you have a guy like Patrick Laine who's scoring five goals a night, uh, mm-hmm. and you got the the guys around you, yeah, I think that I think that he is uh, the only real way that you can find out how important a guy is. Sometimes, unfortunately, is is when they're not there. Right. Do you know what I mean? You just just to see how valuable someone is, just to take him away for a day or two, and yeah. you'll know how much you miss him. But there's nobody in the locker room that would ever um, undervalue the importance of Blake Wheeler. Like again, the things we talked about with his leadership, his practice skills, but the things that he can make happen on the ice. It the power play goes through his hands, and without mm-hmm. him, that that doesn't work. It's he's just he's not an ordinary passer because of the things that I already mentioned to you. So underappreciated by many, but nobody in that room would overlook the things that he does. Absolutely. Like you look at the goal that Shifley scored against New Jersey, his first one and Blake, that pass was elite. There's no way uh, many players in the NHL can make that pass. Well, when you look at, you look at the two different sides of that pass where, you know, Blake Wheeler finds ways to buy time and space for himself, the way he fades and he fades into the corner just a little bit and then he opens up. So at first, Kincaid's thinking, okay, he's shooting. He's in a great shot uh, spot to shoot, and so are the defenders. And it's because of his body position. You watch the way he gets his butt into the middle of the ice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now when he does that, his option's to his left. And so his head isn't looking at his option. His head's looking at the net. And so now that's telling the defender and the the goalie that they have to to make sure that they are respecting that. Now, how he can see Mark Shifley that's 65 feet away and there's about four players between him and where he wants the puck to go is mind-boggling to me. And so buying time and space with proper body position and then the fact that Shifley understands 
he knows where the soft area is as well. There's a symphony happening between these two mm-hmm. guys. So the way he fades away, rather than go straight to the net into congestion, he finds that soft area. And there is like a 10 inches of a lane to get that puck to. And he finds it with regularity. It's I love watching it. I love asking this question of anybody that's around the Jets or, or sees the Jets for the first time. But who's, of all the players, there's the players who get all the attention, Wheeler, uh, Shifley, Lion A, uh, Bufflin. Who's a player you like to watch? That doesn't command the res- not yeah. the command the respect, but command the attention the other four or five do. Well, I'll, I could answer this in a lot of different ways, but the guy that 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 I really internally feel fantastic about to see him succeed is, is Ben Sherratt. Like, this is first of all with with media. Like when you go and you you talk to guys, he is so. Uh, open and forthcoming and with his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's such a, such a nice person authentically. You can tell that he's loved within the room. Um, but then you look back to last year, I think he was scratched 19 of the first 21 games mm-hmm. to start the regular season. So he was on the outside looking in, didn't complain once. I remember he was in Anaheim um, and we're like game 18 or whatever. And I went to talk to him and you'd think that he'd be growly and sour. He wasn't. Right. He says, I'm just going to continue to do what I do and wait for my opportunity. And now, Playing alongside Bufflin, he's getting the opportunity that he's been patient for. And, you know, he's going to cost the Winnipeg Jets some money to keep him now. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing because he's a valuable top four defenseman that is physical. He's trustworthy defensively. He's three goals in the year. So he also, you know, he gets opportunities when he plays with Buff. Bufflin draws guys in deep into the offensive zone. And Sherratt's open. So he's he's a guy that can play with and without it. And I just think he's a fantastic person. Fantastic teammate, and and he's we're watching him develop into a top four D man. So I feel good about what he's doing. Taking a quick pause here for those of you listening, uh, Jets Rewards promo code for fifty. It's fifty Jets Rewards. Points. Yeah, correct. Uh, JetsRewards.ca. Punch in this following word: Lowry. <laughs> Adam Lowry, just Lowry. His last name Lowry. Get yourself fifty Jets Rewards points. Uh, go to a quick commercial, and we'll be right back. Winnipeg Jets single game tickets for the 2018-19 season are now on sale. Choose the matchup you want to see and pick your seats today by visiting winnipegjets.com slash tickets. This is Nikolai Ehlers. You're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Hello again. We're back uh, with Kevin Sawyer from TSN3, NHL veteran. Uh, Kevin? Story time. Obviously, you played in the NHL. There's got to be stories. You played with some legends of the game. Let's hear it. Well, this is okay. I got a, I got a million different stories, but I got to tell you, this is an off ice story, and these are the best stories. Yeah, these are they, the best. They, 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 this is off off ice. <clears throat> pardon me. Is what you miss the most. Like when I watch the guys play soccer before the games and whatnot, and that, that's what you miss the most as a mm-hmm. player. Um, certainly, don't miss getting punched. No, uh, <laughs> as much as I do with the spending time with the guys. But we were in Colorado one night when I was with the Anaheim Ducks and we went out for dinner and thank God it was the night before the game because there was no wine on being ordered. So it's just food. So we're at Maggiano's, a big Italian restaurant in Colorado, and our entire team is out. And this is not a sanctioned dinner, but it just we just all went. So we're sitting at this massive table and there are people everywhere it's like have you guys ever been to a maggiano's ever heard of it it's a big open space italian food people everywhere and we were in there for five minutes we're in our suits and now everybody knows that 
someone is you know special is in this. So they figured out the Anaheim Ducks are in there. So we got little kids coming up asking for autographs, and there was this table beside us that had like four or five women at it that were just beautiful and they were with a couple of guys and they were just giving us all kinds of not as beautiful as your wife of course not not as beautiful as my wife this is long this is long pre (laughs) pre pre-wife yeah we're going back yeah we're going way back (laughs) so um we do the credit card game and so all the credit cards go into a champagne dish and I'm just like, oh God, like I'm, I'm the fourth line guy still, you know, I'm making, you're praying, still making great money. God, like life changing money. But compared to the, those guys, you're like, you know, you're making yeah, a minimum does it wage. have to be me. Well, God, <laughs> you know that where this story is going, right? One, two, right to the very end. And my credit cards oh. pulled last. And devastated. so devastated. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the table and right across from me is Paul Korea, who is a close friend of mine. Uh, Jaguar and Andy McDonald, we're all sitting close together and we all chum together lots. So Polly looks at me and says to me, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll pick it up. I'll pick up the dinner, but you just got to go over to that table and, and dance for those girls and I'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, that's at first I'm thinking, Oh, great. And then I'm like, everybody at the table starts getting, catching wind that I'm going to do this. Well, I'm a, I'm like at the time. How old am I? I'm like 27 year old man, and I'm I don't want to do it. I'm like I think I'd rather pay the three thousand bucks or whatever yeah, it is than yeah. than go and dance for that table. That's logical. And now guys are like soizy, 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 <laughs> and I, I'm so nervous, I'm way more nervous than I ever was to fight Bob Probert. I can tell you that. So I stand up, and when I stand up, all the guys start clanking their glasses. And the entire restaurant, I'm not kidding you, like people were turning their chairs to look to see what's happening. Cooks are coming out of the back. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So so I walk over to this table and like it was like a spotlight. It's like everything dimmed in a spotlight went on me. I can just feel the sweat starting to come. (laughs) So I walk up to the table and I'm just freaking out. I look at the late girls and I just said, ladies, would you mind if I dance for you for <laughs> i had to dance for 30 seconds that was the deal That's and long. this one girl stands up in case there might have been one person in the back of the room not looking yeah she stood up and just like <laughs> yes screamed at the top of her lungs it's a woo girl oh she was a woo girl <laughs> so like what kind of dance do you do the rubato is the dance that you oh, do no. oh yeah oh. i mean and but i pulled it out like i was actually really impressed not at all it was terrible <laughs> so the guys are crying laughing. <laughs> and I've got, by the end of it, 30 seconds is a long time. Yeah, that's an I got sweat dripping off my earlobes. <laughs> it's like coming through my suit. And I was smart enough to bring my jacket with me when I went because once it was done, the entire restaurant stands up and claps. And I walk right out. Yeah. Of, and, and guys were carrying each other, <laughs> crying, laughing out into it. <laughs> that was the hardest $3,000 I've ever earned in my life. <laughs> awesome. Oh, God. It was <laughs> on, on fire. Yeah, <laughs> Nothing was rattling me after that. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Is there one part of the game now? Contact of the head is disappearing. Yeah. And I know a lot of people saying it's not – there's some, not a lot of people, sorry. Some people are saying it's not for the benefit of the game. Do you feel differently about that as a guy that's taken some fair shots to the head and everyone wants to play as long as they possibly can? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I would agree with anybody. I mean, nobody nobody wants to see, like, anybody get hit to the head. But at the same time, 
I understand the fact that it is unfortunately it's a part of the game because of of how fast things happen out mm-hmm. there. Like where, I mean, I see it time and again, time and time again, where I I feel bad for for two different people that are involved in in a in a head on collision. The guy that gets hit mm-hmm. because you know, God forbid, he's going to lose time. Uh, but sometimes I feel bad for the guy that's going to get suspended mm-hmm. because I know like there's times, Hey, and I'm not defending guys that are out there l- looking to play reckless and, and hit, but sometimes there's just, you just can't help it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It happens. Like, a guy turns at the last second. And uh, so it's a slippery slope for me. I understand it. I, I also understand the fact that the league has to protect its players and, and, and I think they do a good job of it. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. Where they they have to make sure that there's heavy consequences, and that it's in the back of everybody's mind that you, you just you just have to be aware of, of of what you're doing out there when you're going 100 miles an hour and you're laying hits. You got to make sure that you're safe. So, um, yeah, the, spoken from a guy that lost his career to a concussion, mm-hmm. and, you know, came you know from fighting, which is different. But at the same time, hey, I knew what the risks were in, in the role that I played. And, you know, like I uh, would have loved to have played another five, six, seven years. I was, I felt like I was just gaining my momentum in my personal career. But at the same time, you know, I've got a lot of people, especially some older people that are close to me. They're like, you must be, you know, they never took care of you. And this is terrible. I'm like, you know, the league gave me an unbelievable life and and I don't have ill will. It's just a, it's a rough game. Mm -hmm. It's a fast game. And I, I, you know, we, you evolve as players. You evolve as a league, and and I I feel like they're doing everything they can to to keep it as safe as as they possibly can. But playing hockey, yeah, you're gonna get hit, um, and bad things happen sometimes. But um, I like the way that the league is going as far as protecting its players without sacrificing the physicality or the speed. What about what do you like, enjoy more, calling the game up in the booth with Dennis, or do you like being ringside? Well, you should ask Dennis this question because I, I felt like I needed like a 10-digit passcode just to get into his booth. He's like, what are you doing here every time I show up there? <laughs> He's a good. second newcomer. This is my space. You should be down below. I love being near Dennis, but him and I would both share the same opinion that you know, being being at ice level is just unbelievable, guys. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you see it differently. Like you're in it, so you 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 have to read the game as an analyst, like a player, because now you got bodies zinging by you at ice level, and you're trying to find lanes and see plays develop and analyze them from ice level. It's not as easy in that regard, right? But you are in the fiber of the game, and you're you're hearing what guys are saying to each other. I can hear them calling for the puck or not calling for the puck. Uh, you can hear the chatter on the benches. You can feel the intensity from the coaches and the refs. Like, it's it's an unbelievable insight to what's happening. Uh, I really miss it. I, mm-hmm. I miss being down there. Um, I feel like it comes out in you. Like, it's hard to replicate that kind of intensity unless you're in it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like being up top does have its advantages as well, where you're seeing it from a bird's eye view, and it's amazing. Like, God, I wish I could have played. You know, I think that's the way Gretzky used to see the ice from up above when he was in it. Well, not for not for me, but um, yeah, analyzing it from up above is is a pleasure as well. But if I had my chance, ten times out of ten, I'm between benches. Okay, I figured. Yeah, one. Let's uh, Tyler's telling me to wrap, but I have to ask you this. Like, I have the ultimate respect for Wayne Gretzky, as everybody does. Did you see him do something at practice that you still think about to this day, or in a game, up close? Because there was no one better, and this is full respect to Blake. We own his passing abilities. Yeah. There's just no one better. Than finding the open guy in a spot. Yeah, like the well, the, a fan from of, of Gretzky from the time I can remember watching mm-hmm. hockey and just just the like we talked about Blake Wheeler, but the fact that you know everybody on planet Earth 
that was in the game understood how good Wayne Gretzky was and the attention that he would get, the fact that he would be checked times two or three guys on him, and the fact that he still had the vision and saw two or three plays ahead of himself to make those plays was was amazing. But the things that stand out for me too are like I was in Madison Square Garden for Gretzky's last game that he played. Oh, it, it, guys, oh that's unreal. It, guys, <laughs> it, it was yeah another special like like calling the game last night for me as a broadcaster had its uh, it was a thrill just to be able to say you, you were able to play in the rink and then to broadcast in it and then coming back the fact that we talked about my first goal but seeing Gretzky play his last game in that building, give it another level of, of excitement for me. Oh. But being in the rink that night, Wayne Gretzky, he did a lap and warm up. My, everybody's eyes were glued on him. And he, he would get the puck, shoot it on net, go to the, rink, the bench and, and hand it off. And he went through, I can't remember how many sticks. You might be able to correct me on this, but I think it was like 60, 70, 80 sticks that night. Wow. One for every lap and warm up. And then he changed sticks every single shift. And he signed them to the teammates of that night and to people that were important to him throughout his career. So just how gracious he was with his time, and he still continues to be um, yeah, just a class act. I think that he's really kind of set the mold for you know, how to be a professional and how to be gracious. Uh, you know, you know, he understands what the game has given to him. We all know what he's given to the game, but you know, the stuff on the ice is, was my favorite and amazing to watch him create and but also the person and the gentleman that he was. I, I just I, I talk about that with my kids. Yeah. So, awesome. Kevin Sawyer, TSN, thank you so much for doing this. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, this is episode eight of Ground Control. Thanks for listening. This is Big Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com. <laughs>